Money, money, money. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Redeeming God podcast. I'm your teacher for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. Hang on, you'll find out what that intro was all about. So in today's podcast episode, it's all about money. We're going to be looking at it in three ways today. First, a little something that is in the news this week. We're going to talk about cryptocurrency. If you don't know anything about it, I will try to explain to you what it is, why it's in the news, and um, why I actually bought a little bit this last week, and you can too if you want to do that. Then we're going to take a look at an email from a reader who sent in a question about tithing. So if you have questions about what the Bible teaches about tithing, I will address that as well. And then thirdly and finally, sort of with the main section for this podcast episode, we'll be looking at the account of the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Lots of people think that Jesus was telling this young man that in order to go to heaven when he died, he needed to get rid of all of his wealth, all of his riches. Is that what Jesus was saying? No. We will talk about what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 19 with the account of the rich young ruler and uh, what he's saying to you and I today and how we view our wealth, how we use our wealth. So that's what we're talking about today. Money, money, money. Very hot topic. Let's dive into it then. Cryptocurrency. Have you heard about cryptocurrency? All right. So um, let me just talk a little bit about them. If you don't know what a cryptocurrency is... um, Let me try to explain that. And by way of full disclosure, I did buy a little bit this last week. I'll talk about that uh, near the end of this sort of introductory section of the news and how you can too if you want to. And um, anyway, cryptocurrency. Uh, Let me give you a little background. Uh, It was, I don't know, seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, I first became aware of cryptocurrencies. I became aware of Bitcoin. And it was in the news back then because it had hit $1,000. It was 10 years ago this week that Bitcoin first hit $1. And as I'm talking to you right now, it is sitting at 40, a little about, uh, just barely under $48,000. Yes. So in 10 years, Bitcoin, which is a cryptocurrency, I'll talk about it in just a second, went from $1 to $48,000. And there's some reasons for that. Uh, There's lots of companies that are starting to get onto the cryptocurrency wagon, such as uh, uh, Tesla, the the, the electric vehicle car maker owned by Elon Musk. Uh, They recently announced this week that they are going, that they have bought $1.5 billion of the B of Bitcoin currency and will soon be accepting various cryptocurrencies as payment for their vehicles. Um, MasterCard this week, yes, the credit card company has announced that they will allow some of their merchants across their merchant network to accept cryptocurrencies as form of payment. And I even saw today that the oldest bank in the United States, um, what is that, Uh, Bank of New York, BNY Mellon, Uh, has said that they are going to be adding cryptocurrencies to their balance sheet and allowing their members, the the people of their bank, to start using it and depositing it and purchasing it through their bank. Apple, Google, um, Amazon, uh, Uber, uh, lots of these companies have have been coming out and saying that that, uh, they are looking at cryptocurrency 
as something for the future. I saw this morning that, um, what is it, Amazon, I think, might even be developing their own cryptocurrency, or maybe they will be starting to allow people to make purchases and sell things uh, in payment with cryptocurrency through the Amazon. So all this is, all this is say is, is cryptocurrencies in the news, and since you might have been hearing about it, reading about it, thinking about it, wondering about it, I'm going to try to talk about it a little bit in this news section of the podcast. So first, what is a cryptocurrency? Well, look, you're you're familiar with currencies. You, you have a currency. I don't know what country you're in. I'm in the United States, we use the US dollar. If you're in Canada, then you're using Canadian dollars. If you're in Australia, then you're using Australian dollars and so on. Uh, if you're in the UK, uh, what, you're all back on the pound now, right? Did you ever go over to the euro? I get that confused all the time. Uh, most of Europe is on the euro, um, but I think maybe you never left the pound or you're, you're back on the pound. Anyway, it's very confusing. Um, maybe someone can explain that to me. But uh, again, you have the British pound, you have the euro in the eurozone over there. You've got the Chinese yen. Okay, these are currencies. These are currencies, forms of money that are sort of developed. And they're called the fiat currency. They are developed and overseen by banks of a particular government. All right. So cryptocurrencies are similar. They are a form of money. Uh, and yet they're not, the, the thing that makes them different is they are entirely digital it's not like you can um, get a piece of paper, you know, with a greenback here in the United States, a dollar that, that's a piece of paper. You can't actually, um, they're, they're digital. So that's why they're crypto, these, these currencies. The other thing is they are not owned or operated by any particular government or central bank. And that makes them very, um, in one sense, volatile. Uh, because there's nobody, you know, manipulating the government to, I'm sorry, manipulating the cryptocurrency to make it rise or fall in relation to other currencies around the world. Uh, but at the same time, um, it, it um, helps people put their money into a place where they know their government's not going to manipulate it. I saw this morning, for example, that many people in Nigeria have have been putting all of their money into cryptocurrencies because the Nigerian government has been manipulating their money, their currency in that country so horribly that basically inflation has set in and destroyed the, the country's currency. But if you own a cryptocurrency, then you don't, you don't face that same problem. Same thing I've been hearing a lot of people down in Venezuela and what's happening since Maduro took over and turned their country into a socialist country, completely destroyed their currency. Uh, it is completely worthless now uh, because he was printing money. Anyway, lots of people... Uh, under the current administration here in the United States are thinking that something similar might happen to the U.S. dollar. We just are seeing that they're trying to pass this, what is it, $1.9 trillion, that's the T, a stimulus package, uh, which essentially is going to mean they're going to be printing a lot of money and weakening the U.S. dollar. I, I've seen in the news recently that the U.S. dollar has gone down significantly in value in comparison to a lot of the other government currencies around the world. And so, again, all of the sort of fear and wondering about what's happening with the, with the governments, with the currencies, it's sort of fueling this interest in cryptocurrencies because they are outside of government control. At least currently they are. They're not being manipulated by any central banks or, or any federal reserve or any particular government. Um, I don't know quite how it works, but I've heard the Chinese for years have been engaging in currency manipulation to try to keep the Chinese yen stronger in relation to the U.S. dollar. Again, I'm not an economist, but but all of this is to say this is why, one of the reasons why cryptocurrencies 
were invented and why they are becoming more and more popular and why a lot of these uh, Fortune 500 mega international uh, companies are starting to buy them and why people like me are starting to put a little bit of their savings, a little bit of their money from their checking account into cryptocurrencies as well. All right, so um, that's what cryptocurrencies are. Now, there's uh, just like there's a bunch of different world currencies, there's a bunch of different cryptocurrencies. The, 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 the most popular one right now, which is in the news all over the place, is Bitcoin. It's one of the first ones that was developed, I don't know when, uh, probably about 10, 20 years ago or so. And uh, But a lot have been developed since then. Some of the more popular ones are Ethereum, Litecoin. And then there's one that's hitting the news a lot recently as well. I'm seeing it all over the place. It's called, it's called Dogecoin. D-O-G-E coin. Dogecoin. <laughs> sort of a humorous story behind Dogecoin, which I'm not going to try to get into. It's a very entertaining cryptocurrency. Uh, and for that reason, someone like Elon Musk. Did you know Elon Musk, little side note here, is the richest man in the world now? Uh, if you don't know who Elon Musk is, he owns sort of a whole bunch of different companies, including Tesla, which I mentioned earlier, SpaceX, The Boring Company. Um, what? Uh, it seems like there's a few others I'm missing in there also. But, um, oh, Starlink, I think. They're going to try to do this uh, worldwide website through through satellites. Anyway, pretty exciting things. Uh, but but uh, he's the richest man in the world, and he recently said he he's a big believer in Dogecoin because... He says the most entertaining outcome is usually the most likely. What does he mean by that? Well, when someone is entertained, uh, they talk about it a lot. They tweet about it. They put it on Facebook because they find things enjoyable. It's things that are entertaining, they talk about. That's why the people talk about their favorite TV shows, or they talk about sports, or they talk about even politics can be entertaining. Theology can be entertaining. People talk about what is entertaining. And so Dogecoin is entertaining because of its history, because of sort of the culture and the community that surrounds it. And uh, so he sees a lot of potential in Dogecoin, and he's been actually talking a lot about it on social media and other outlets as well. So um, he believes in Bitcoin, he believes in Dogecoin and, and other things as well. And I'm, I'm getting way off track here. Um, so this past week, in light of all this, what is cryptocurrency? I sort of explained that and what some of them are. Um, I, I've been doing a lot of reading and research on it recently. And this past week, I bought a little bit. Now you say, Jeremy, how's that possible? Bitcoin is $48,000. How do you have that much money? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> There's absolutely no way I could afford to buy a single Bitcoin. The nice thing about it, though, is you can buy a fraction, okay? So just like dollars can be divided up into you know quarters, dimes, and pennies, and so on. Uh, same with every currency around the world. You can buy a tiny fraction of Bitcoin. So I bought the tiniest, tiniest little fraction. I put a, a, a couple hundred dollars that uh, I had sold some extra books um, around. Our budget's really tight. But I, I was able to sell, I sold more books around the holidays than I than usual. And so I took some of that money from my book sales and uh, bought a teeny tiny fraction of Bitcoin with it. And also I bought um, uh, several hundred Dogecoins. Dogecoins are a whole lot cheaper. Right now as I'm talking, uh, they're about seven cents each. Okay, so they're not, nowhere near 48,000. But uh, lots of people who hold Dogecoin think it's going to get to a dollar this year. So I sure would like that. I buy a couple hundred at uh, seven cents each and they all go to $1. That would mean, you know, if I had 200 of them, 
um, that would mean I it ended up at two hundred bucks. Not not a bad deal at all. And who knows? Uh, Ten years ago, Bitcoin was one dollar. What happens if Dogecoin hits one dollar this year? And ten years from now, it hits forty-eight thousand dollars. Imagine how much I'll have then. <laughs> That's my retirement plan, I guess. Uh, so anyway, look, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm definitely not a financial advisor. I, I, I seriously, I know next to nothing about economics and investments and stocks and all that stuff. Okay. So I'm not trying to tell you what to do. Here's what I do know. Definitely, <laughs> definitely don't put money into cryptocurrency that is going to pay your mortgage or buy your food or, or pay your electric bill. Okay. Um, <laughs> They are very volatile, and lots of people have put lots of money into these cryptocurrencies. They tend to go up and down really fast, and you can lose a lot of money in them, okay? Uh, for myself, I had those couple hundred dollars uh, from book sales, so I decided to, to put them in these two cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Dogecoin, and literally, I'm just forgetting about them at this point. I'm going to wait 10 years and see what happens. Um but uh, that's where I'm at. Now, uh, if, if you if you wanted to buy some, how could you do it? Look, it was very difficult for me to figure all this out, but I finally narrowed it down to basically two or three websites that are reputable and uh, where I found it relatively easy. Sometimes it was extremely difficult to navigate a website, and so I just, I can't, I can't even figure out how. But um, for, for Bitcoin, I used a website called Coinbase. Um... And I found it really easy. And by the by the way, um, since I joined with them, and it's free to join, you just join, sign up, do some uh, verification that you really are who you say you are. I mean, you're basically sort of setting up a little bank account almost with them. Um, anyway, it, it just if you want to help me out and help yourself out, if you join with Coinbase, I have a link at my website um, for this podcast episode, uh, redeeminggod.com, and uh, on Matthew 19, 16 through 24, the rich young ruler. And you click on that link there for Coinbase. And if you end up buying $100 of Bitcoin, okay, again, a tiny little fraction of one Bitcoin, then they will give you $10 of free Bitcoin. And I get $10 of free Bitcoin also. So look, you buy a hundred bucks, you get $110. That's 10% profit right there. Not a bad deal, huh? <laughs> Um, anyway, that's for Bitcoin. If you wanted to buy something like Dogecoin, I found the easiest way was to get it through Robinhood. Now, Robinhood's been in the news also, and there are some drawbacks to using Robinhood, but, uh, they're free. It's, I mean, the, the coins aren't free, but they don't take a commission when you buy things. There's no, no commissions or sellers or buyer fees or anything like that. So it's a pretty easy way. And it was super easy to get set up and get started. So, uh, and by the way, if you do stocks, they, they buy and sell stocks, a commission free also on Robinhood. So I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know what the big trading companies out there you do for commissions. I honestly don't, cause I, I don't really do deal with that, but Robinhood, I found it to be easy and, um, commission free. And I was able to buy my Dogecoin through them. And by the way, there's a link as well on my site. If you use my link to sign up with Robinhood so you can buy Dogecoin or stocks or whatever, you and I both are going to get a free stock from Robinhood. So that's pretty cool as well. So anyway, uh, um, enough with all of that. It's in the news and I'm going to be just sort of for entertainment value and purposes, uh, watching Bitcoin and Dogecoin over the next days and weeks and probably the decade as I just let it sit there. And who knows? We'll see what happens. 
I don't know what a couple hundred uh, Doge coins, how that would, I haven't done the math on it, but if it, if each Doge coin turns into $48,000 like Bitcoin did, uh, I'll be sitting, I'll be sitting pretty good, I think. Uh, well, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> and if you buy some, remember, uh, you heard it from me right here on the Redeeming God podcast. And uh, so uh, you and I can be uh, uh, cryptocurrency millionaires, right? 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now. It's probably not going to happen, but it's fun to think about. And uh, so we'll see. All right, let's move on from there. Talk a little bit about this email I got from a reader. New email. So the re, uh, the reader email sent in, uh, someone sent in a question on tithing. And I'm not going to read the the um, the question, the email itself. Uh, it was a long uh, sort of involved question about, about his church and the pastor and the tithing and, you know, the sort of the threat from Malachi 3. Uh, that, that people often hear and, you know, robbing God if you don't tithe. Okay, so uh, I know lots of people have this sort of general question about tithing. And so let me just briefly try to answer this if I can. First of all, I, I want to let you know I did write extensively about tithing in my book, uh, Churches More Than Bodies, Bucks, and Bricks. That's the name of the book, Churches More Than Bodies, Bucks, and Bricks. And uh, there's in the, in the Bucks part. It's sort of three sections about church attendance, church tithing, and church buildings, bodies, bucks, and bricks. Anyway, in the in the bucks part, there's a whole section there on tithing. That's sort of where my answer comes from. There's also a bunch of links on my website about this. And again, I will include these in the notes for this podcast if you want to go read some of those on my website. Bottom line truth about tithing from the Bible is that most of what you hear in churches about tithing is wrong flat out wrong, okay? Uh, in the Bible, I would say that tithing, the concept, the biblical concept of tithing as we read about it in the Old Testament, is closer to what you and I would think of as an income tax, okay? They didn't have income taxes, they had tithing. So when you pay your taxes, as we're coming up to do here in April in the United States, uh, that is sort of equivalent to what the biblical concept of tithing was, Okay. Our, our income tax goes to various purposes, and you might think it's a good use of money. You might not. I personally think it is not in general. Uh, but uh, look, we're part of the country, so it's what we do. Uh, back in biblical times, they tithed. And it wasn't just 10%. Depending on the math, it's somewhere between 30 and 60%. And uh, the 10% is just comes from this thing with Abraham so um, and, and Melchizedek. But... Um, the, the, the bottom line, though, is uh, even then, though, when they, quote-unquote, tithed, when they gave of their income, and, and it wasn't always with money, sometimes they would tithe with food that came from their crops or even from animals from their herd, something like that. But even then, they're not giving to some, you know, nameless, faceless governmental program that is going to waste the money. Uh, usually, they would give to specific needs in their community, uh, or people who were performing certain tasks or functions, such as the priests and Levites, um, or to, uh, and here's the surprising thing that most people don't know about, to fund a giant celebration for the community. Uh, in fact, I, I talk about in my book that that 10% that tie that most people think about, and it did exist in most Jewish communities, 
only once every three years did it go to the priests and Levites to help provide for their needs. The other two years, so so two out of every three years, it went to fund a, a giant community music and arts and food festival. Uh, people would bring their families, and they would hang out, and they would eat, and they would feast, and they would sing, and they would dance, and and talk, and just that's what it was for. So uh, if people are going to, we need to do biblical tithe, okay, fine. Once out of every three years, give it to your pastor, <laughs> and the other two years, spend that money uh, on a family vacation or a, a, a big block party uh, that for you and, you know, your friends. Uh that's what the biblical tithing was all about, that 10% that we always think about is the 10%. Anyway, I, I talk about that in the book and in those, those links, and um, that's a far cry from what you, what you often hear in churches about tithing, right? So there's a lot more to it, but that's sort of the general basic guideline. You don't need to have a pastor or a church beating you over the head, making you feel guilty because you're not supporting the pastor's salary or you're not helping pay off the mortgage for the church building. That concept, those practices of tithing are not found anywhere in the Bible, not even with that once every three years giving to the uh, the priesthood. That's something entirely different as well. Again, I'm not going to try to get into that here with this podcast episode. Now, look, if you want to financially support somebody, a ministry, you know, like mine at Redeeming God, or an organization, or a pastor, or a church, or a nonprofit, whatever, uh, that's fine. And you should be willing and able uh, and generous with your, your money to, to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to support a pastor of your local church, and also if you think that the building that your church owns and has is a good use of, of money, fine. Go ahead and support it. That's okay. There's nothing uh, anti-biblical about that, nothing unbiblical about that. Um, but we just need to make sure we're not saying, this is the way to tithe. If you're not doing this, you are robbing God. Okay, that's not true. That cannot be defended from Scripture. That is not a biblical teaching of the proper use of money. Okay, so tithing, what is tithing? Look, uh, it's an income tax. You're paying income tax, so you're taking care of there. But the actual tithing itself, uh, God wanted to make sure that uh, the people took time to party, <laughs> uh, to, to, to go on family vacations and make memories with their spouses and their children and their friends and their family and their neighbors. And that is the biblical concept of tithing. So I would encourage you, if you're going to, you know, put aside some of your money, uh, make sure that you are putting aside, aside some of your money, budgeting some of your money for enjoyable activities for you and your family so that you can enjoy the good things of life that God has blessed you with. If life is all just misery and frowns and, and you know, dour attitude, seriousness, then it's, it's not really worth living. And uh, that's one of the, the biblical concepts of tithing is to use the things God has given us to bring smiles and joy and laughter and happiness and memories into our lives. So that's the biblical concept of tithing. Let's move on then to the third and final part of this podcast, which is our study of Scripture. So we're talking about the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, and I have previously written about this, like with almost every passage, it seems sometimes uh, on my website, I'll link to that. Also, if you're in my discipleship group, I have taught about the rich young ruler previously in the lesson on eternal life. 
And this podcast study is being drawn from the lesson on the kingdom of God. So if you're part of my discipleship group, you can learn more about the rich young ruler by taking those two lessons inside the uh, Gospel Dictionary online course. You're probably familiar with the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples, and this, this young ruler, he's very rich, he's young and he's wealthy. He comes up to Jesus and he says, "What must I, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to gain or to have eternal life, depending on your Bible translation? And they have this little discussion, why do you call me good, and so on. Jesus finally says, well, what, is the, what does the Bible say? What do the, the scriptures say? Oh, well, we need to, you know, uh, keep the Ten Commandments, essentially, is what the rich young ruler says. And Jesus says, fine, go do that. And the rich young ruler says, well, I've, I've done all that since I was a boy. And Jesus says, aha, well, you still lack one thing. Go give away all of your possessions and then come follow me. And of course, the rich young ruler goes away very sad because he was very wealthy. Following this, Jesus and his disciples have a little discussion on what it, uh, on wealth and how the wealth, how, how wealthy people can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, you've likely heard that passage taught. You probably have read about it in various books. And if you've been around Christianity for any length of time, you likely have heard it taught from these passages that it's very difficult for the rich to go to heaven. It's harder for them to go to heaven than it is for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle, right? Uh, and so if you are rich, if you are wealthy, you better give away your riches. You better get rid of your wealth because you want to go to heaven. You don't want to burn in hell, do you? Uh, your money is going to drag you down into the pit of hell. Okay, <laughs> the sermon's going to go something like that. All right. Uh, it's very confusing because that sort of seems to be what Jesus says here. The rich young ruler says, hey, what do I need to do to have or to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, basically, you got to give away your wealth. And the rich young ruler goes away because he has lots of wealth. And the disciples say, whoa, then who can be saved? Right? And Jesus, oh, well, with man it's impossible, but nothing's impossible with God. So, you know, at least there's a chance that he could be saved in there. Right? And this is how the passage is, is, is read and understood and taught. And it leads to lots of concern and fear in the minds of lots of people. Now, you've been if you've been following me, listening to my podcast, reading my books, or my part of my discipleship group for any length of time, you know that I believe that eternal life is free, absolutely free. Jesus gives eternal life to everyone and anyone who simply believes in him for it. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts, no bottom, no uh, hidden fine print, nothing like that, okay? How do you receive eternal life? You receive eternal life by believing in Jesus for it. That's it. You do not have to give away all your wealth in order to receive eternal life. If that's the case, then, then what is Jesus saying here? The rich young ruler mentions eternal life. Jesus later mentions eternal life. Uh, he mentions the kingdom of heaven. The disciples use this word saved. What's going on? The key to this text, the main key to this text, there are several things to, to notice, but the main key to this text is the use of this term, this phrase, kingdom of heaven, uh, in Matthew. It's used as kingdom of God in Mark and Luke, in the parallel passages there. It's the same, same concept, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. 
These phrases do not refer to heaven itself, going to heaven when you die. Okay? That's the key to this passage. To receive the kingdom of heaven, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, is not the same thing as going to heaven when you die. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, again, as I talk about, as I define in the lesson on the kingdom of heaven in my Gospel Dictionary online course, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is the rule and reign of God in your life, here and now, on this earth. I mean, it will extend into eternity, into our life in eternity uh, in, in the future as well, but it begins here and now, uh, right now in this, in this life, on this earth, as we go about our day-to-day duties and activities and our job and our sleep and we eat and we talk with our family and friends, okay, that is our opportunity to experience the kingdom of heaven now, um, the rule and reign of God in our life now. And so that is what Jesus is telling this rich young ruler. Now, the rich young ruler, like most of us, was a little bit confused, uh, sort of. He, he asks, at least in Matthew's version, what he must do to have or gain eternal life. Now, it's very interesting. You go over and look at the parallel accounts in Mark and Luke, and there, Mark and Luke's version put it, in my opinion, better saying, inherit eternal life. Because when Jesus goes on to answer the rich young ruler's question, Jesus starts talking about inheritance, inherit. And he starts talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Uh, and then when he goes on to talk about the, um, to, to the disciples, about the relationship between wealth and the kingdom of God, he's talking about discipleship and reward, eternal reward, both now and in the future, in our eternal uh, existence with God in eternity. Okay, so the whole passage is not about how to receive eternal life. It's about how to experience the kingdom of God, how to gain reward for ourselves. And, and uh, so uh, th- that's what Jesus is talking about here. And the rich young ruler, I'm not sure how much of all of that he understood. But what you need to understand in this passage, in this context— is just sort of a few background things that help us understand what this rich young ruler was thinking and why Jesus answered the question the way he did. So, in in Jewish culture, in Jewish society, wealth was a sign of God's blessing. You go back and read some of these promises in the Old Testament, these covenants that God made with the people of Israel, and basically the, the promise was, look, if you obey me and you keep my commands— then there's going to be peace and prosperity throughout the whole land. Okay? These were covenant promises that God made to the people of Israel in the Hebrew Scriptures. And so the thinking was, if you are sick, if you are poor, then you or one of your descendants was not very obedient to God. Conversely, if you are wealthy and rich and healthy, then that means you and your ancestors were very obedient to God. And so here we have this rich, young ruler. Scriptures, the gospel accounts, very clearly emphasize that he was young. In Jewish society and culture, what did that mean? In the minds of most people, 
for this young man to be so rich at such a young age means that he was under the blessing of God. And why was he under the blessing of God? Because obviously he had kept the commandments since his youth. And indeed, that is exactly what the rich young man says. Jesus says, well, what does the law say? The young man answers, and Jesus says, well, fine, go do that then. <laughs> and the, what does the rich young really? Well, I have. I've kept the law. I've kept the, kept the commandments since I was a boy, since, I was, since my youth. Okay? That's what he believed. That's what everyone else believed also. He was rich because he kept all the commandments. So what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus needs to get at the heart of the issue here. Jesus needs to point out to this rich young man, this rich young ruler, where the problem was in his thinking, in his theology. And this young man was depending on his wealth as a sign that he had kept the law, that he was good with God. Okay? So Jesus said, you know what? we got to get rid of the problem here, which is your wealth. So go give it all away. Get rid of your wealth. And then come follow me and, and we'll have another conversation. We'll see where, where you're at then. You see, Jesus was challenging this entire way of thinking about the connection between God's blessing and human wealth, God's law and human wealth. The Jewish people said, if you obey God's law, God will bless you with great wealth. And Jesus was saying, no, that's not how it works. There is no connection necessarily between wealth and obedience. Wealth is not an outward sign of inner righteousness. That's what Jesus wanted to show this young man. That's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. And then he goes on to tell the young man and tell his disciples how righteousness is experienced. How is it experienced? Not by the accumulation of wealth. That means nothing. Uh, righteousness is experienced in this life by following Jesus on the path of discipleship, experiencing the rule and reign of God, the kingdom of God in our lives. Okay, so the bottom line point of this passage is, basically, Jesus uh, can't really do much with a person who puffs out their chest and says, look at me, look how righteous and holy I am, and look at my wealth. It's a clear sign that God's on my side. I have kept the law since I was a youth. There's nothing wrong with me. For those type of people, Jesus tries to strip away from them the things that they look to uh, for their self-importance, their self-righteousness, and their self-worth, so that they can turn only to him, only to God, only to Jesus, and follow him on the path of discipleship, so that they can become meek and lowly of heart, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's how they will experience, begin to experience the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in their life here and now on this earth. Okay, That's the point of this passage. Jesus is stripping away everything the rich young ruler and disciples thought was important, thought indicated this man was obedient, and pointing them all in a new direction. Okay, so Jesus does answer the, the young man's question, how might I have eternal life? Ultimately, it's, look, come follow me. And eventually, I'm convinced this young man would have heard, first, you got to believe in me for eternal life. Now that we've stripped away your righteousness, now that you've seen you're no better than anybody else around here, okay, how are you going to gain the righteousness of God? Not by obeying the law, because that didn't work, but by believing in me. 
And once you've done that, now let's go on to the path of discipleship. Okay, this is the, 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 the follow-up conversation Jesus wanted to have with this young man when he invited him to, after you give away all your wealth, then come follow me. Uh, and he does have this follow-up conversation with his disciples in the following text. The disciples watch all this, listen to all this, and they're like, and they say, uh, then who then can be saved, <laughs> right? Because they're confused. If this young man, he's rich, he clearly is under the blessing of God. If he doesn't have any chance, what about the rest of us? Uh, who can be saved? Okay, well, look, first of all, remember the word saved. It doesn't mean eternal life, go to heaven when we die. Again, uh, this passage is no different. Uh, Jesus is talking about being delivered and rescued from the problems that wealth brings. In that society, in that culture, those who were wealthy thought that they were under the blessing of God and, and were obedient to God. And everybody else thought that true. Now, it wasn't, like, by the way, I mentioned Zacchaeus last week. This would not be the case with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was under no illusions, and neither was everybody else, that his wealth had come from as a result of the blessing of God. Zacchaeus knew, and everybody else knew, that Zacchaeus had robbed and stole it uh, by aligning himself with the corrupt Roman government. Uh, okay? So, people could tell the difference, just like people today can tell the difference uh, between wealth that is gained through corruption and wealth that is gained, at least in the minds of many people, through obedience to God and God's blessing upon them. Okay? Same thing then, same thing now. Um, but Jesus was, was telling the people, look, here's how you can be saved from your wrong way of thinking about wealth, from your wrong way of thinking about what happens when you obey God. And uh, how can you be experience the true life that God really wants from you? So when the disciples say, who then can be saved? Jesus says, look, you have to be saved, delivered, rescued from your wrong way of thinking about God, from your wrong way of thinking about wealth, and from your wrong way of thinking about the law. Uh, here's how you can experience the rule and reign of your God of God in your life now. That's by following me on the path of discipleship. Okay, the surround the, the entire context here makes it very very clear what Jesus is talking about. He's not telling the young man, "Give up your wealth so you can get eternal life and go to heaven when you die." No, Jesus is saying, "Give up your wealth so you can start on the path of discipleship with me," and then. Along the way, you're going to learn about how to get eternal life and how to experience the rule and reign of God in your life now, the kingdom of heaven now in your life as a follower of Jesus. This is a text about discipleship. Now, all of that in mind, how might Jesus respond to a similar situation today? Now, it is true in, in some Christian circles— especially primarily in some Pentecostal-type circles, uh, wealth is viewed as a sign of God's blessing. Okay? I won't deny it. It's, it's very true. So in those sorts of situations, I think God might say something very similar to those sorts of people. However, I don't think it's a widely held view. Most of us understand that the richest people in this world are not necessarily the most obedient. Uh, I, like I mentioned Elon, Tusk, or Elon Musk before, I, I have no clue what his personal life is like, but I don't assume that because he's the richest man in the world, therefore he is uh, the most obedient to God's law, and therefore under God's blessings. I, I, I have no illusions uh, of any connection between the two, okay? But here's what I do know. Uh, if Jesus were physically walking the earth today, um, 
technically he sort of is in the church, but again, completely side trail, rabbit trail there, which I won't go down. Uh, Jesus, I can imagine a situation. In fact, I can imagine myself uh, coming to Jesus, and uh, especially as a young pastor, uh, and this is probably true of lots of young pastors, uh, imagine a scenario which a, a well-known, I wasn't well-known as a young pastor, a well-known author, radio personality, young pastor, Bible teacher comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to experience God's life? Right? We all want to experience God's life. And so this young Bible teacher, he wants to impress this, this new teacher named Jesus who's come to town. And uh, he's basically saying, look at me, I am wealthy, uh, I'm well-known, I am a good, popular Bible teacher at such a young age, I might add, uh, here in this community. And in fact, my name is known around the world. I have best-selling books on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and New York Times best-selling list, okay? So, so Jesus, uh, let's you and I sort of shoot the breeze here a little bit. Uh, let's talk about what I would need to do, what people, you know, I'm, I'm planning for my next sermon here, Jesus. What what needs to happen for someone to uh, experience God's life, you know, God's will in their life now? And Jesus would turn to this young, puffed-up pastor <laughs> and say, well, what do you teach from your pulpit? What do you write about in your books? Right? <laughs> and the young pastor would say, ah, he's read me, he's heard of me, right? He's thinking this. Um, well, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty simple, Jesus. Uh, they need to attend church regularly. They must tithe 10% of their income, read their Bible, and pray every day. Uh, they must not be given to alcohol or drugs. Uh, they should witness, be a good witness in their community and at their workplace. Uh, you know, they could wear Christian t-shirts or maybe a cross-shaped necklace. So they shouldn't laugh at crude jokes. That's bad. Uh, they must hand out gospel tracts. They should invite people to church. You know, those sorts of things, Jesus. And Jesus would tell this young pastor, fine, go do all of that then. <laughs> and the rich young pastor, or the, the well-known young pastor would, would say, well, I have. I've done all that since I was a kid. Well done, Jesus would say. Then only one thing is left. There's only one thing more for you to do. Resign as pastor. Stop selling books. Quit preaching. Throw out your gospel tracts and your Christian clothes. Stop tithing to your church. Put your Bible on the shelf for a while. And maybe go have a beer at a local pub. Then, come follow me and we'll talk about what's next. Now, what would that young pastor do? <laughs> you and I know... He would go away very sad. In fact, he would probably call Jesus a false teacher, a heretic. Why? Because this young man had it all figured out. He knew it, and everybody else knew it also. He was doing everything right. After all, how could he not? Look at him. So well known. Such a great teacher. At such a young age. Clearly, God is with him. That is how I think Jesus would answer the similar question today. In this text, both then and now, Jesus is telling us there's no such thing as an outward manifestation of inner righteousness or God's blessing upon somebody. Okay? If you want to truly experience the life of God in you, right? 
then all the riches of this world and all of the wisdom and all of the blessings and all of the obedience and all, all, okay, all of the religious laws and duties don't mean a thing. Instead, we should just follow Jesus into discipleship, and he's going to lead us into some, into some surprising directions. But that is the only way to experience God in our life now, to, to live this life with God as he desires and as he wants. So, this entire account, Matthew 19, the parallel accounts in Mark and Luke about the rich young ruler, they're not about how to get eternal life. Okay, How do you receive eternal life? You believe in Jesus for it. Simple and clear, just like that. No ifs, ands, or buts. No strings attached. No fine print. Okay? How, though, do you live this life the way God really wants? That's an entirely different question with an entirely different answer. And there's no evidence you can look to in your life or in the life of somebody. Well, he's rich. He's wealthy. He never gets sick. Uh, he has best-selling books. He's a well-known speaker. Look at how many Bible verses he can quote. Wow, he has the nicest slogans on his t-shirt. Look at that nice golden cross. You okay? There's nothing, <laughs> nothing that tells us how a person, where their person is with God and stands with God. If you want to experience God in your life, though, don't look for those outward things. Just follow Jesus wherever He leads, day by day looking to him to teach you and guide you, correct you, rebuke you, because he will, and uh, teach you and provide for you the things that you need for that day. Okay, uh, Get rid of those religious things and focus just on the things that Jesus wants for you. And when you do this, Jesus will lead you into a full experience of the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign in your life, here and now, on this earth. That's the story of the rich young ruler. I hope all of that made more sense to you, sort of how to understand this text, and especially how to apply it to our lives. Look, uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. I really appreciate it. And again, if you're enjoying this, uh, I do invite you to join my discipleship group. Uh, just go to redeeminggod.com, click the join link there at the top, there's all these online courses you can take, and I'm adding more content every, uh, every month. And uh, it's also a way to help support me and what I'm doing with my teaching here as well. It's, uh, so I really appreciate all of you have partnered with me in that way over the years. I'm very, very, very grateful. If you want to uh, submit a question or maybe a, a passage that you would like me to look at in future podcasts, or maybe even a news item, that'd be fine. Just use the contact form at my website, redeeminggod.com. Just uh, go there, redeeminggod.com, scroll to the very bottom, and uh, click that uh, link down there that says, contact me here, or whatever it says down there. I can't remember. Something like that. So anyway, I hope to hear from you. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week when we're back again to talk about the news, talk about uh, a letter from a reader, and look at another text from Scripture. See you then. <laughs>